within 15 minutes of showing them a video of what it could be, said, right, yeah, we're in. We'll happily be your early adopter. And once they came on as early adopters, it was then just hours and hours and hours and hours of time on the range, interviewing people, showing them designs, showing them prototypes and getting pushed back. We got to the point where our first mobile implementation, we had to run competitions just to get people to even log in and play it. But what Declan, the owner at Greenwich said to me very early on, is not interested in this mobile thing. I want screens and I want games. And over time, we got to the point where we realized people don't like paying for apps, but put a beautiful touch screen in their bay with this fantastic augmented training experience, and they will happily pay a premium to play in that bay, and they'll feel like it's for free. That was for us the pivotal moment we went right. Okay, yes, the player is the person we're delivering this to, but our proposition is how do we make a range owner and a range business successful? As soon as we understood that our business is helping other businesses succeed, then things really just took off. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us. And if you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe to the show to hear about all of our upcoming episodes, listen to some previous ones, and to enter our latest golf product giveaway contest. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Nick Longley, co-founder at InRange Golf. InRange combines smart radar tracking technology and immersive game experiences for every kind of player, from scratch golfers to complete beginners to reimagine and create the driving range of the future. InRange's vision is to transform the driving range into an engaging, fun, and addictive experience for customers from all demographics. Well, this is right in our wheelhouse of what we'll have to talk about here in the Mod Golf Podcast. So with that introduction, hey, Nick, thanks so much for joining us today, and welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Colin, absolute pleasure to be here, and thank you very much for the invitation. Absolutely. So you just finished your working day. You're in the UK. You're in London right now, are you? Where are you in, located, Nick? Yeah, in, in London. Just getting over the two days of summer, we had to start off the week. So that's it. It's done. The two uh, days of summer? I hear it's still like 40 degrees Celsius there. I, I hear everything's yeah. almost ready to be set on fire. It's, it's pretty warm there, isn't it? It is, and it's, it's a bit of a weird one. You may or may not know, I, I come from South Africa originally. Mm-hmm. Basically, Monday, Tuesday last week is basically two normal days in Johannesburg in any given summer. So, but, but London is just not set up to deal with these sort of, this sort of heat. So you're used to that. For you, it's just like a, a nice, temperate, cool, breezy day, right? Exactly. Everybody exactly. else is dying around you. Well, hopefully that does not negatively impact people attending driving ranges in the UK, which is what we're going to talk about. But before we get into that and talking about InRange and all the good things that you're doing there, and of course with the parent company, InRange is your product. I understand that your parent company is Alpha Wave Golf. So we'll get into all that of how all that works. But I always love to start with an icebreaker and find out about your connectivity to golf. In my understanding, you were a high-level competitive athlete and swimming in rugby and water polo when you were younger and then as an elite competitive kayaker at that world championship level. So very interesting stuff there. But how did you get into golf? And, and tell us about your first golf experience ever. How old were you and picked up a club and who introduced you to the game? So let's start with that, Nick. Yeah. So yeah, the sport is very much in my DNA. Everything that I do is, is around competitive sport. But to be honest, part of the reason I started in range was that I've never really felt like I was in the game. You know, I didn't get much exposure to golf at school. And my main experience of golf, to be honest, was feeling embarrassed about how bad I was while playing at a nice golf course. 
My first experience, I'd say, was with my father, holidays in a resort type course. And then after that, it was playing golf in my university holidays or bunking university classes to go have a, a quick round at the Muni near the university in South Africa. Sounds like you're very much like me with your initial golf experiences, where I played a lot of competitive team sports here in Canada, but yeah, was not really introduced to the game. It wasn't part of our family lifestyle. So yes, I have or had those uh, 100,000 bad swings ingrained into my my muscle memory, which uh, I am slowly and agonizingly starting to extract from my golf swing, although they do rear their ugly head every once in a while. <laughs> so, yeah. so that happens. So I understand your background in finance and also in technology in South Africa really was the backdrop from everything that you're created as an entrepreneur, giving you the ability and the confidence to put together what you're doing in InRange. But let's start with this. Why InRange? Where did you see the opportunity? I'm assuming looking that you started this about five years ago, if I get that correct, Nick. Top golf was already a thing. The attractions was around 2017. So why did you decide or what gave you and your team the, the confidence to see that there was opportunity in the market that rather than going, oh, this top golf group, they've already figured all that out. You said there's an expanding market and there's an opportunity. We can do this even better. So tell us about the backstory and that aha moment, yeah. the gestation of in range and alpha wave golf. As you know, the entrepreneurial journey is definitely not a straight line. So while Top Golf was very much a sort of an up and coming and already successful theme as we looked to start in range, we weren't actually looking at entertainment golf as our core demographic at that point. Probably embarrassed to say we almost saw that potentially as a fad. So mm. we'd come from a perhaps a slightly more serious sort of sporting background. Myself and my partner, SJ, we were sort of very avid users of apps like Strava or your, or your Garmin GPS watch. And we looked at the sports that we loved, running, cycling, kayaking, myself, SJ, very much an avid golfer. And we said, I can go out and have a run. I would never even consider going for a run or a cycle or a paddle without my GPS watch. But why is it that I'm going to go to a driving range and not have that same sort of quantified experience? I mean, effectively, what we saw happening was mountain biking and cycling was stealing people from golf because your weekend warrior could take on this more serious sort of competitive cycling, even though they were, you know, nowhere near the sort of race level of people that you see on a, on any sort of professional sporting platform. Right. So right. you had this move towards the quantified training, the, this training with intention, and we looked and said, right, you know what? You don't have to go and be able to buy a $25,000 launch monitor to have an intentional practice session. You know, I'd seen it through my kayaking career where certain technologies were restricted only to your elites mm -hmm. and then how that filtered down into your general population of canoeists. And we said, right, well, we've got the ability to take what is now, at, as I say, it was then a $25,000 launch monitor experience. We could offer that to every single person on driving range and include that in the cost of a small increase to the cost of their normal bucket of balls. That's where the idea of, of in range came from. You know, we were very much a, a mobile first experience. But as you know, no plan survives the first battle. Many things have changed since those early days. Right, right. And we talk about, you know, an entrepreneurship and, and founding a company and it's in startups about pivoting. You go to see yeah. other opportunities. You think the market is here through the validation you have and the conversations you have. But obviously other opportunities opened up. So talk about that next step or that iteration of creating in range. 
we call it your customer discovery. Did you start going to driving ranges and seeing that there was this need and desire then to gamify the experience, to make it more immersive? What did you see back in 2017, 2018, 2019, the feedback you were getting that you decided, you know, we're going to build these other products to then retrofit existing driving ranges or even help with uh, new ones that are being built to be that gaming and technology engine that drives the immersive experience? So we spent probably two years on our customer discovery. So we've developed and patented the radar tracking technologies. But at that early stage, we could maybe track, say, five players at a time at Mm -hmm. most. So while we took our our tracking technology from where we were there at sort of two to five players to where we're now at 100, 120 players, in fact, I lie to you, our largest range right now is 145 bays. And we're able to track all 145 players and all 145 bays playing at the same time. But there was a lot of development that needed to take us from where we started to where we were. So we had time to go through that customer discovery process. And it was by no means obvious. You know, you were speaking to people who were like, yeah, but you know what I'd really like? Some new mats and better balls at my range. Right. Like, okay, yeah, I get that. But <laughs> can I interest you in the quantified training experience? Yeah, sounds nice. <laughs> but we were lucky enough to get a couple of, of really great early adopter sites. And that really was the catalyst to becoming what InRanger is today. So we had two great sites I would highlight. One being the Ledbetter Academy in, in Orlando, the global headquarters. So they were in like Flynn, as it were. I had a meeting set up with them within tape. 15 minutes of showing them a, a video of what it could be, Ben Riches and David himself said, right, yeah, we're in. We're, we'll, we'll happily be your early adopter. So that was at one. And the other was our, our Greenwich Peninsula driving range here in London. And once they came on as early adopters, it was then just hours and hours and hours and hours of time on the range, interviewing people, showing them designs, showing them prototypes and getting just pushed back, you know. We got to the point where our first mobile implementation, we had to run competitions just to get people to even log in and play it. So, but what Declan, the, the owner at, at Greenwich said to me very early on, he's like, not interested in this mobile thing. I'm not interested. I want screens and I want games. <laughs> and over time, we, we got to the point where we realized people don't like paying for apps, but put a beautiful touchscreen in their bay with this fantastic augmented training experience and they will happily pay a premium to play in that bay and they'll feel like it's for free. That was for us the pivotal moment we went, right, okay, yes, the player is the person we're delivering this to, but our proposition is how do we make a range owner and a range business successful? As soon as we got to that, as soon as we understood that our business is helping other businesses succeed, then things really just took off. And just took off there. Yeah, I wanted to highlight what you spoke about there as far as your early adopters, those first two customers, those pioneers that believed in what you were doing. We talk about this, and I know you're very familiar with this, as far as that graphic of the technology adoption curve over time, that 5% at the beginning, those early adopters that are with you. And they understand that you haven't got everything figured out, that not everything's going to work, that it's going to take some time, that there's going to be some pushback, as you put it, and also some snakes and ladders. Some You're going to go forwards and backwards and some stuff's going to break, and that's okay. And then once you get to that and you had those first two successes, 
And then you're able to get into that early adopter group of that other 30% before you get to half of the population or the market segment. And it sounds mm-hmm. like now mm-hmm. you are nicely into that, well into that early adopter phase on the curve. So talk about that as how you've expanded. It seems like you focused on the UK market first and Europe, and it sounds like I believe also Dubai, you've got an installation there. So talk about your strategy there to roll out over time with the resources that you have, because you don't want to try to do everything at once and boil the ocean, as we say, because you can't, because you're going to fall on your face. So what was your strategy or continues to be within range as you roll out? And tell us about how many installations and customers you have at this current time. So I would even go so far as to say, I think we're in the early majority now. It does differ by geography. So if we look at the UK, the UK is becoming quite a mature market. We sat down in front of people five years ago and said, within five years, no driving range worth their salt will not have have tracking. That was our belief. And in the UK, we are not far from there. If you're a range and you don't have technology on your range, people are like, okay, and because if I'm not getting a quantified training experience, it's just not worth it for me. So in terms of our growth strategy, in range is one of those things where you've kind of got to stand in the bay to really experience it. So a lot of our growth has been get a, a beachhead site and then get as many people as we can to that site to really experience the difference. Because if I say to you, we got tracking, you say, yeah, there's tracking. Okay, but really, and when I'm saying tracking, I mean, this is the most accurate and reliable tracking technology in the world. Whether you're basically kicking the ball out of the bay or you're hitting a 300-yard lovely drive, we will track that shot with unbelievably accuracy. But the big thing that we've succeeded in, and, and I'm really proud of the team, I can say how proud I am because I, <laughs> I don't have the, the skills or ability to build what they've built. We created a tracking that is so reliable. You can bring your six-year-old son down to the range and he can just get it out of the bay and we will track that. And that changes the whole game. It's critical that you create a user experience in the software that allows that kid or that corporate group to have a great time. But if you're not able to track that ball, your software can be as good as you like, but it's not going to be a satisfying experience. And if we go back to who I was, this person who didn't feel like you fit it in, if you then get in a bay, hit a ball and doesn't get tracked, that doesn't make you want to love it. That just further deepens your feeling of not fitting in and right. being embarrassed. And our whole job is to create an experience for the golfer, the best possible experience you can have, your training experience, but equally to create an experience for non-golfers, those people who just want to get in there and have a great time. But at the same time, learn that actually, as I learned, this is a game for everyone. This is a game that you really can love and you don't need to feel like you're excluded from. Love this. Love it. And wanted to ask you this because the majority of our listeners are in North America, especially in the U.S., so if they're thinking, because of course we're on an audio podcast, so we can't show any imagery. We have that in the show notes. So I encourage all of our listeners to go over and have a look there. And also Nick and I are going to jump on a video conversation for our YouTube channel. So we'll have lots of videos and, and uh, imagery and graphics there to show the in-range gaming experience. People are thinking, well, this sounds like Top Golf. How is this different? So what I'm sure you get this question all the time. So since Top Golf has been around the longest and still the, the market leader, especially in North America, how do you describe or articulate to those people how you're better or how you're different? Your experience, not only your technology, but also, as you mentioned, the magical user experience on the gaming side that you deliver within range. There's two ways that we really look to differentiate ourselves to the player and then the person who's looking to create an experience for players. The aspiring entertainment range owner or sort of dual purpose range owner, there's another point there. But let's talk about the players first. So to the player, we've created this dual purpose experience. 
If you go to a top golf, it's far more of an entertainment experience and not so much of an experience for the golfer. It was a lot of the feedback that we heard when we were building. So we created this, what we believe is a fantastic training experience. So firstly, if you're a golfer, any in-range enabled site allows you to have what we believe is the pinnacle of golf practice something that just keeps you coming back. And there's a number of things we've developed we can maybe talk about later, such as the in-range handicap, et cetera. Then for the, the entertainment side of things, I think the way we differentiate there is we don't need any technology in the range itself. You know, there's no need for physical holes or, or anything like that. And we don't need any particular balls. So we track any ball. What we've developed is an interlocking set of radars that then track any moving object in space and time. And then our, our algorithms say, right, that's a ball. That ball comes from Bay 78. Give that trajectory back to the, the hardware and the touchscreen or the mobile, if you're playing on mobile, in Bay 78 and deliver a compelling gaming experience. So because we don't need to be locked to the physical, we effectively then can create either an augmented or a virtual reality experience for that player in that bay. And we do both. So we've got a number of play modes or game modes where we build a whole 3D world, which represents what the player can see in front of them. But we then augment things on top of that, whether it be bullseye targets or sort of blackjack game or our latest game, which is effectively like a dystopian world where you, you need to sort of conquer that with bombing targets and such or our, our virtual golf for, your, for our better players. So it allows us a whole lot of flexibility with the space that we have. We're not locked into the physical. And Topgolf is fantastic. Let's just say that I think they've created a fantastic product. But my first experience with the Topgolf, it was really difficult for me to get into any of those targets. But with our sort of radar tracking and the augmented world, I can give you a, a response. You hit a ball, I can give you something back even if you don't hit a target. So it means that you're getting that little micro reward for yes. every shot you hit, which just keeps you coming back. And for the not so good golfer, allows them to get to a point where, oh, maybe on that seventh shot, they hit a target, but those six shots before there were also satisfied. It's a little bit like golf, right? It's that last shot on the 18th, which keeps you coming back. One of the ways we measure our success is if I put five people in a bay of totally different skill and ability and experience, are they still playing an hour and a half from now? And we are so lucky. I'll often go down to one of our ranges of an evening and I look there. I can't believe the range of people that our ranges attract and they're all having a good time. There's no one sitting on the couch going, oh, yeah, and the girlfriend or boyfriend is not so good at golf and the partner hitting balls and they, the other one's just watching. And that just doesn't happen. I mean, we've been lucky through the whole process, but we were very lucky to have created something that has that level of, of response from people. Well, it sounds like observing your users is something that you can, is an ongoing process and you continue to do. One thing I want to talk about users that you understand quite clearly the difference between a customer and a user. I teach a lot of young entrepreneurs and they get confused at the beginning or focus all their time on the user, but realize they're not the ones that are actually are paying for this. They are indirectly, but ultimately who's going to buy this? And as far as the range owners and the facility operators, they are the ones that are the gatekeepers. They're the ones that make those decisions and your pricing model has to revolve around that. So it sounds like you understood very early on to be able to differentiate between a customer and a user. And sometimes they are the same, but in this case, they are different animals. So so with that, in the early days, how did you work out your pricing model? And what for in-range, for example, let's say I am an existing range owner here in, in Canada, let's say in Vancouver, mm -hmm. and we connect. So 
Tell me as far as the value proposition and even price, you don't have to give me hard numbers, but even how that would work as far as a contract or a recurring monthly subscription. So a whole lot of things in there. And I think you give me a little bit too much credit around understanding the difference between the customer and the user. It took us a lot of money and a lot of time to really get there. But thankfully, I can say we didn't build in-app payments before we realized that the the player wasn't our customer. That's the only thing I can say. But when you talk about the customer, the range owners, so we, we believe very strongly that us as in range and the range owner have to have a shared intent and shared skin in the game, right? So our proposition to the range is there's a huge amount of untapped, shall we say, experience, but from that experience revenue in your range property, you are only scratching the surface of what is possible from this asset that you have. And we've got a very good idea of benchmark pricing around the world and what is possible. So I'll come to you as a range owner and you'll say, right, okay, I'm charging $8 for a bucket of 100 books. And I'll say to you, right, Colin, so first thing, what I know and you know, but perhaps the player doesn't know is you aren't selling balls. Your inventory is an hour in a bay. So how do you deliver the best possible experience to a person for that hour in the bay that allows them to be more than happy to pay you a premium for that experience? Mm-hmm. So that's where one has to start. And then you segment up your customer and you say, right, your customer is currently paying $8. I know for certain that looking around in your market, their sensitivity is somewhere between 10 and $12. So as long as you bring an improved experience, which includes in range, don't just bring in the tech and say, we're increasing our prices. What you need to do is say, we're a part of it, but what physical attributes do you need to change on your range to improve that experience? That could be seating, that could be food and beverage into the bay, that could be somewhere to put your beer while you're playing, somewhere to put your clubs, a better check-in experience, online booking, etc. We come and say, right, this is a target price that I believe that you can achieve. And what we'll do is we'll help you get there. We'll bring the tech, we will bring marketing assets, we will bring our marketing experience, we will help you take your range and bring it into, into this decade, shall we say. Yeah. And maybe an upgrade on your website that may be having a rethink about your social strategy, trying to create more of a community through email newsletters and such, really bringing people back because golf is a community sport, right? But the Rangers historically haven't been to that much of a community. It's very much it's go down on my own, hit some balls and go home. So how do you create more of that community? So we come in and say, right, we'll help you get to that pricing point. And our premium model is we'll say, you won't have to pay a thing. We will take a portion of the increase that you're able to achieve with those customers. And that's for the golfer. Then we'll say, but Colin, did you know that there are three cinemas around you, which tells you that there are people out there looking for something to do with their evenings and their weekends. What if I told you that you could create an experience that attracts those people, but your inventory is the same. It's still an hour in a bay, but you could charge double what you charge for your golfer for that hour in a bay. And all you got to do is we then open up this concept of the in-range plus entertainment multiplayer side of things. And then not only can you charge more for that hour in the bay and that same inventory, but if you've got the wherewithal and capital to invest into an upgrade of your food and beverage, you can match the additional revenue that you're making out of your golf with food and beverage, club hire, et cetera, because now these people are probably going to arrive without clubs. So you can now hire the clubs as part of it. And it just changes the whole face of that business. If you'd like, we can chat a little bit later about some of the great examples of our customers. Yeah, it feels like they've changed their lives. Nice, nice. Well, we talk a lot about the the business methodology of Blue Ocean Strategy and how that impacts 
the golf industry. The key there to Blue Ocean Strategy is not fighting over the existing finite market. In this case, golfers in North America, the 30 million golfers in the UK, probably around five to 10, but unlocking new customer segments and the term rather than price. And it sounds like you have this conversation with potential range owners and customers all the time. It's not about price. It's all about value, the value that you add, what people are willing to pay for something. Like you said, those non-golfers that are looking for an entertainment and engaging entertainment experience rather than a passive experience, something that's social and unlocking that rather than, as you said, people just grinding away at nine o'clock in the morning in silence at a driving range and paying for a bucket of balls. And yep, that is a business. But as far as be able to expand that to almost 10x the revenue possibility within the existing facility by enhancing that, sounds like you understand that implicitly and you're, you're certainly conveying that to your customers. Yeah, we when we came into this, I mean, I remember I've had a number of conversations with people that were like, no, this technology is going to slow down the number of balls hit and we make money on the number of balls we hit. And I'm like, yeah, but do you? <laughs> Yeah, it's just change your whole mindset here. I mean, it doesn't actually slow down the number of balls that people hit, but yeah, it's taken people from a point where they're like, I actually can't increase my price. I don't know what to do. I must therefore just increase the velocity of people hitting balls. It's kind of like that analogy of walking into a restaurant, you sit down, you have your meal, but the waiter's hovering around you to try to get rid of you. And that was the customer experience that these ranges were going down because they looked at it and said, right, that's the only way we can make more money. We get more balls hit, sell more buckets, therefore we make more money. And it was just going down the wrong way. Yeah, it's a throughput problem. You, you can't, it's like pushing a rope. You just, you just can't force that. Where I know with the work that we've done in the past through our company, Reviver Sport Entertainment, that as design consultants with Topgolf a few years ago, around 2017, that we designed and envisioned their mobile in-stadium experience called Topgolf Crush. I think they call it Topgolf Live now. And that was one of the biggest insights we had with the technology in the first stadium activation that we did observing this, that no one left saying, gee, if only I hit five more balls. I felt that wasn't a great experience because I didn't hit enough balls. It wasn't quantified in that way at all. And you've realized that from the, from the early days. It is the quality of the experience, what they left with. Was it a magical moment? Do they remember that one that they really hit that was tracked? Yeah. And then your gaming technology is then able to enhance that experience too. And that's what people want. They want those magical moments that are shareable, that are engaging. And yeah, they don't count the number of balls that they've hit and figure that they're disappointed with that. So it sounds like you've had to reshape the mindset of some of your customers that that no longer matters. That's not the metric that you're using to define success and profit, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I've always found anchoring to be a really fascinating concept. I've watched my own behavior with anchoring. So I'll happily pay 200 pounds for something, but I won't pay two pounds more for a drink. It's understanding that anchoring exists, working out how do we remove the anchoring to, okay, well, that's the cost of a bucket of balls down the road. You're so expensive now just because you have your technology. It's removing that anchoring, but also then understanding this new demographic. Their anchoring is different, right? Their anchoring is if I go out to the pub or I go to the movies, for two of us, we're looking at $40 without even blinking, $60. So if you're going to give me a fantastic experience with three of my friends in a bay for $30 or $40, it's a deal. And that has been the single biggest win that we've had because our entertainment customers, these people, they just don't care. They no. have absolutely price insensitive. 
And that's the way it should be once that's realized. And yeah, that opens up so many other opportunities with the layers you mentioned with the food and beverage. I know with Topgolf, more than half of their revenue is food and beverage related, mm-hmm. which makes complete sense because people aren't moving around six, seven of them in a bay and you're only hitting a ball one seventh of the time while you're having a sip of your beer, a bite out of your burger and laughing as your friends hit another terrible shot and wait your turn, which is what it's all about, especially with the music overlay there too. Okay, so I want to talk about this. My understanding with InRange and what you do, you're always looking for the next thing. You're constantly innovating. You're not just sitting back and thinking what we have is good enough. I do want to hold off on a couple of things here, Nick, as far as your compact range, which I find really intriguing. Let's talk about that on our video conversation for our YouTube channel. So hopefully our listeners are intrigued enough by that to come over and become viewers on the YouTube channel. But let's talk about something else that you you touched on as we finish up here. You mentioned as far as leaderboards and handicaps to create community and also that stickiness to have people return mm. and, and want to come back as far as game theory and that engagement. So as you've evolved, some of the other things you've created. So talk about the handicapping system and the leaderboards and all of those good things that you're developing within range. No, absolutely. A core concept when we started this off was that concept of progress. As a more serious player, you want to be able to see how you progress from as where I was as a, sort of, let's call it 36 handicap, to now I think my in-range handicap is 17 or 16.6. So that was the core component. We were like, it's not good enough to just track balls and give you some stats. We cannot build a business that is just, here's some stats on a ball that you've hit. That's not good enough. And that's not a business we would be excited. So we're like, okay, right. What we've got to start off with is we've got to create that core DNA, that core thing that is going to take you through the entire experience. And we call that experience our golden thread. And in doing so, we created and patented this idea of a range handicap. So you'll know of strokes gained, obviously, and all of, all of your listeners will, will be very, very comfortable with the concept of, of strokes gained. But what we did is we said, strokes gained is not just something for the pro golfer. We can develop a strokes gained model that whether you're a plus six or whether you're a 56 can create a level playing field for everybody. So if I go down to the range and I select our, our T in target mode, that's our sort of core practice mode. Every single target I select out there is customized to my handicap. So if I'm hitting it within that target zone, it means I'm playing as or or better than my handicap. So every single shot I hit is scored, which then means every category, whether it be long approach, short approach, or off the tee is scored. And my entire session is scored. We wanted to bring it down to just a single number and be able to answer that simple question, how did I play today? So I can have a look at my app after a session and say, right, how did I play today? That was a great session. I played better than my handicap. Okay, well, let's go down a level. Where was I not so good? Well, I can see this is not going to surprise anybody. Off the tee, I'm okay because, you know, everybody likes to just pick up their driver at the range. To a 50 or 60-yard target, I'm okay. But you give me a 150-yard target, I'm strokes lost on every session. Right. So it then says, right, where do I go and practice more? And it just gives me that information and gives me something tangible that I can work with. Now, what's then happened with that DNA is it means that we can bring that through our entire experience. So whether you're practicing or whether you're now taking part in challenges. So we've, we've recently gone live with our first challenge. We started off in South Africa and we're actually going live with our next challenge, more of a global challenge. And the nice thing is that no matter who you are, you can compete. So whether you're a 30 or whether you're a 40 or whether you're a scratch, you're all on, the, on a level playing field and you're able to compete there which means that you can engage with people so much better, which means that, again, that community is there because, okay, I'm going down to my range. I want to take part. 
okay, yeah, I know that Mike's doing well. Okay, right. We've done it on our, our latest game, the nearest to pin, which has had an amazing success. Again, very lucky that people are loving it. But every target is then scaled to that handicap, which means that everybody can take part. And then you're going onto your app, you're going onto the in-range site, you can see those global leaderboards and everybody's in it. Love it. Love it. So we talk about rewards and delighters that I'm sure you, you and your team pick up from game design and game theory. Mm-hmm. So with these competitions, what do people win? Is it more just bragging rights? What's the dopamine drip at the end? If I know there's that constant improvement that we want, but uh, let's say I ended up coming in on globally and I come in third. And that's an amazing achievement if there's like, I don't know, 27,413 people competing in this and coming in third or even the top 100 is pretty darn good. So what are the rewards and delighters that you give to people as they develop their level of success and they climb up the leaderboards? That's a great question. And I'm not sure if, you're, if you've ever read the book Hooked by a chap by the name of Nir Ayal, I think is, is, is how you pronounce his name. So what he describes is a hook theory where people take an action, they get a reward, well, you got trigger, action, reward, and then an investment. And he highlights a couple of different reward types. Rewards of the tribe is one, rewards of the hunters is another, and then there's another which is around mastery. So we look to bring in all of those different reward types. If you're in one of our challenges, that rewards of the tribe, the recognition amongst your peers. But then what we've done is we've segmented that up because you can't just have a global leaderboard with the winner because yes, there are only five people around the world who can get there. But if we now segment that up by category, so now if you're in the six to 12 handicap category, you can win that if you're in the 12 to 18, et cetera. So we try and make it inclusive so that everybody can take part. And if you're getting better, then you can progress to the next handicap category and take part there. So that's one of the things we create where it's that recognition amongst your peers. The second type of recognition and reward we look to bring in is these rewards of the hunt. Because people, I'm sure you're the same, it's lovely to collect things, right? So on the InRange app, you can now go in and have a look at your club stats. At the moment, it's just session-based, but we're about to release an aggregate club stats. But then what do you want to do, right? You look down the list, well, I don't have any stats at my seminar. Well, you've got to get out there and, and get that. So collecting that is something that we've found people really, really enjoy. And then the mastery side is the progress. Am I getting better? Can I get proof that I'm getting better? And that's a reward I'm looking for. These challenges we've just released, there is also some of the more um, material rewards. We have partnered now with a number of fantastic brands that we believe are aligned to our slightly more irreverent style. And players who are on there are able to actually win awards and, and product and such from some of those brands. Gotcha. Good stuff. I can keep going and going and going and have this conversation for another hour here, but why don't we hold there, Nick, because of course we've talked about the backstory of yourself and also with InRange and Alpha Wave, but we're going to jump over to our YouTube channel. We're going to talk about the future and also if you can share a couple of customer and user success stories. You're a good storyteller, so I'd love to hear those stories. So why don't we hold off there and have that conversation over on our YouTube channel. But before we go here, Nick, why don't you share with our listeners where they can find out and learn more about what you're creating within Range Golf? Simplest, I think, is inrangegolf.com. We've got, a, I believe, a really good overview of what we do, uh, what you can enjoy, and all the various different solutions we, we provide. So uh, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, etc. So it'd be great to, to hook up with you there. Good stuff. As I always do in the show notes and also on your bio page, I will include all of those links and contacts to make it nice and easy for you listeners out there to connect with Nick and learn more about InRange. So 
With that, Nick Longley, co-founder at InRange Golf. Nick, thanks for the conversation today, and I'm looking forward to our next one. So, hey, thanks for joining me today on the Mod Golf Podcast. Thanks very much. It's been great. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on our homepage to hear about upcoming episodes and to enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.